Um, God is, he's always funny when I get a chance to either lead a group or speak in front of people because um, I was going to do this on the 23rd. And I've been struggling. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? I'm praying about it. And then JR last week says, hey, I'm going to be out of town, which he lied because he's here. Um, he said, can you do next week? I said, sure, JR. Um, but that, he said, you're going to feel a lot of pressure. And I did. Um, all last week, I had like, I'm 61 years old, right? I've really been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I have a lot of things to say. So I had like 20 different things to say. And I was like, God, I only need one. I don't need 20 messages. I need one. And I was just all over the place. And so over the weekend, Friday, I, I, I came up with the questions. I said, if I give them the questions, then I have to stick with that topic on what I come up with. And so I wrote down, I got these three questions, which you got to have on your tables. And then I built my, what I was going to say around it. Last night I rehearsed it. Everything went well. I got up this morning and I felt like God said, that's not what I want you to say. It's going to be what you have on the table, but what I had rehearsed is not what he wants me to do. So this morning, I'm up at 5 o'clock on my computer, pen in hand, writing. And, and so uh, I pray this blesses you. Um, what I'm going to share is really a lot of my story, how I got to where I am today, what God really means to me. And uh, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, born in 1957. For some of you young guys going, wow, I didn't know numbers went back that far. They really do. Um, my mother was from New Orleans, and she was a devout Catholic. My dad was from St. Louis. He was in the Army, um, and he was Methodist along with his grandparents. They met in, in, in St. Louis. My mom went there to go to nursing school, and that's where they met. Uh, my grandfather was a doctor, uh, which in 1920, not, well, in 1930 when he became a doctor, for an African-American to be a doctor was a very rare thing. Uh, but he moved to Lubbock, Texas, because there weren't any, there was a black hospital, but they needed a doctor. And so he moved to Lubbock, Texas in 1948 or 46, along with my parents, and that's how we ended up in Lubbock. Um, but um, I remember my dad growing up, my mom went to church all the time. She's devout Catholic. My grandparents go to church all the time. My dad occasionally went, but he didn't go with us. He was Methodist. He went with uh, his parents. But what I realized is church was this place you went to on Sunday because what I saw during the week was not necessarily church. Um, my mother had a, and she died in 2000, but I would say she was harsh with her words. I remember growing up and hearing things like, I wish you had never been born. I wish you all were dead. I, I hate you. And she's saying this to we're her children. And I've got two older brothers. I mean, an older brother, older sister, and then a younger brother. My oldest brother was nine years older than us. So he, by the time I was nine years old, he had gone off to the military and kind of disappeared out of our lives. But I always thought, what did we do? You know, as a child, why am I getting cussed at? What have I done that was so wrong? You know, I, and so it kind of gave me this complex that maybe there's something wrong with me, you know. But these were the church people I knew. <laughs> My dad, I realized, he had a, uh, a drinking problem. When he was 
in the 40s, when he was in the military, um, he actually had part of his stomach removed because of alcohol. Uh, and so occasionally, it seemed like once or twice a year, he would go on this drinking binge for a day or two, and he would just get stone drunk. And then I remember I was probably four, four years old, five years old, and one night we all get in the car, and we drive to this place, and there's all these people there, and Dad's car is wrecked, and there's gasoline. I just remember the smells, and they had to get to my dad and get him home, and they get the car home, and there's all this hustling bustle. I'm sitting in the car just kind of watching this. I'm like four years old, trying to grasp what's going on. Um, but I knew he had been in a wreck. I knew this car was really messed up. I don't remember who he hit. What's interesting about that is two months ago in a conversation with my older sister, and this is not even on the notes here, I realized that night he killed a man. He had a car wreck and killed somebody. And she told me, at 61, she's 64, here's the family secret you never knew about. Here's why Dad stopped going to church altogether after that wreck happened. But like I said, that was, that was kind of an interesting time. Having grown up Catholic, my mom wanted us to go to Catholic church, Catholic school. So on the west, I grew up in East Lubbock, the hood. And I thought we were like, we were like rich in the hood. <laughs> you, you know, in, in your own place, you can be really good. So I go to Catholic school on the other side of town, west side of Lubbock. And there are doctors' kids and lawyers' kids. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> we aren't doing so well. You know, these kids have mini bikes and trampolines, and this is the set, you know, late 60s, early 70s, and it was, it was an interesting experience for me because it opened my eyes to a world most of you never experienced. And what I mean by that, when I grew up in the hood, I kept hearing, hate to say it, white people won't let you do this. White people won't let you do that. I mean, this is late 60s. You know, I grew up in the 50s, 60s, civil rights movement and all that. So I kept hearing all these bad things about white people. So I end up at this Catholic school in first grade with, guess who? White people. <laughs> it's just me and my sister. And I'm realizing, these, people, these kids, they treat me, we were just kids. There was no color. I, as a child, with kids, I never felt prejudice ever. Only with adults. White adults. But what was interesting is, I'm thinking, they're saying those people are bad. And I'm with those people, and they're saying I'm bad. It, it, was, it was like, everybody's lying. You know, white people got prejudiced, black people, you know, anyway. So it was, a, it was a good experience because it taught me both sides are wrong. You know, it, it really did. But anyway, it was in uh, first grade that uh, something happened to me. It, there was myself and two older females, and they were about four years older than me. And we did this thing, we caught, I thought it was child's play. It was sexually involved, but I just thought we were just kids being curious, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But anyway, I keep going to church, Catholic school, first th grade through third grade. Uh, at third grade, I decide I don't want to go to Catholic school. I want to go to school in my neighborhood. And so I left Christ the King on the west side of town and went to Wheatley School two blocks from my house. Well, my last name is Wheatley. The school was named after Phyllis Wheatley, so everybody thought my parents owned the school, you know, which is kind of cool, a little <laughs> bit of celebrity. Uh, but I had to explain to him, no, this is Phyllis Wheatley and, and all this and that. But I went there for another four years, um, had a good time, uh, 
kept going to the Catholic you know, church and everything, but I, I started having some issues. And the issues became, I guess I was getting older, and I started wondering about God and faith. And, you know, I go to church, and I, I couldn't talk to God, right? I'd go tell this guy, this priest, on Saturday evening, everything I'd done bad all week long, and he could talk to God, and he would tell me what God said for me to do, you know, say three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. But that kind of bothered me. How come, how come I can't talk to him? You know, and then the other thing that really, and, and if you're Catholic, don't, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm just saying how I felt. I don't have anything against the Catholic Church. The other thing that bothered me was the Pope. And they said the Pope was infallible, but I kept thinking, he can never make a mistake, but he's, he's just a man. He's not God, so how can he be perfect? But the way that affected me was there's this big guy, Pope, and he talks, he's God's right-hand man. There's these priests and cardinals and bishops and all these other guys. They can talk to God directly and, and hear from him, and then there's me, the minion. I'll never be good enough. Because I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to. I'm saying, I like girls. <laughs> I knew I was never going to be a priest or a bishop or a cardinal. I like women. You know, I knew it at an early age. So I, I'm never going to. <laughs> right on. Uh, I'm never going to be one of those people that can really hear from God. That's not my call in life. But that made me feel less than. So, in spite of that, in seventh grade, I ended up going back to the Catholic school. I found public school was too easy for me. I didn't have to study, and people bragged about how smart I was, but I wasn't doing anything. And so I decided I wanted to go back to uh, Catholic school, because it, it was a college prep school, so the classes were harder. I had to actually study. I felt like I was doing something. And being a Catholic school with lots of money, Kids who are doctors, kids in the late 70s, early eight, in the late 60s, early 70s, these kids had lots of money. Guess what they also had? Lots of drugs. Everybody sent their kids to the little Catholic school to get away from the drugs in the public schools, but the money was at the Catholic school. And there was, I, in seventh grade, I started actually smoking marijuana and drinking. At the end of my seventh grade year, we'd have parties. But these people had so much liquor, some of them did that we always had a supply because a kid would steal from his parents. They had so much, they never missed it. I mean, in our house, we had one bottle of wine. If it was gone, hey, where's it? You know, people knew. <laughs> but when you're rich, you have this abundance, which became our supply. So I started doing drugs, got really good at that in seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, my parents split up, which I didn't realize until much later in life. I just thought dad went to Denver with my sister to get a new job, but they had actually separated, but for some reason I wasn't privy to that information. So my parents split up when I was in seventh grade. Dad moves to Denver with my sister. He comes back when I'm in ninth grade. Well, by this time I've been doing drugs quite a bit, um, and then Dad gets cancer. And he dies in my sophomore year. I'm in 10th grade. The start of my sophomore year, my dad dies. And so I was really upset by it. And what I decided was God ain't real because I hurt so bad. How, how can a good God do this to me? You know, I've got a younger brother. He's 10 years old. I'm 16. I just got my driver's license. 
dad just had come back. Our family had just gotten back together, and now he's gone. There ain't no God. That's all a lie, you know? And so that (laughs) pretty much was my my life. I I did drugs. I I quit going to church. Instead of going to church on Sunday, we'd tell my mom, hey, I'm going to church. I went to the park and got high. Quit going to church. God blessed me with the wisdom and an intelligence that allowed me to, my goal was to work for IBM in high school. And I made good enough grades my junior and senior year. I went to college briefly, but I got hired by IBM uh, when I was 19. One of the youngest people they'd hired in this area went to work for IBM. But the truth is, I was either at work or I was high. You know? And that's, that was my life. I didn't know anything else. I ended up in the hospital, and this lady, I was dehydrated. And I'm in the hospital snorting, we called it speed, it was meth back in those days. It was, I'm start snorting speed in the hospital. And the doctor says, you're here because of dehydration and this and that. And I had this nurse that came in every night, and she'd tuck the covers up, because I kicked my covers off, I'm a wild sleeper. And I'd wake up and the covers were, t- anyway, I met this lady. because I'm going to stay up and meet her. I'm in the hospital snorting speed so I can meet the night nurse. <laughs> I think about it, okay? I'll just leave it there. I'll just think about it. But I meet this young lady, and she doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't cuss. She goes to church. She was the kindest person I'd ever met. She was like a year older than I was, and I was fascinated. I had never met anybody like her. You know, and what's interesting is for... I was in the hospital for three days. She and I actually went out on a date, a couple of dates after that. And I wish I knew her name, because I'd love to tell her thank you. Because she had a huge, I didn't know you could live like that. I didn't know you could be happy without drugs and alcohol and sex. And here this one, she's one of the happiest people I'd ever met. And wasn't doing any of the stuff I thought brought happiness. But anyway, I ended up marrying a woman who was Church of Christ. So I go from Catholic, you know, Party with the priest, hey, party's on. Church of Christ, no drinking, no alcohol. And, and that was good. That was a really a good thing for me because what I heard in the Church of Christ was they preached from this thing called the Bible. I had seen it, but I had not heard all of it. And I became fascinated because they said stuff I had never heard before. I mean, they were into the you know, Ephesians and Colossians, and, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that stuff was in there because I'd been raised Catholic with all these rules. But here I go from Catholicism, which was rule-based, to Church of Christ, which was rule-based, in my, in my opinion. No drinking, right? You can't drink, you can't dance. But what was funny was all the people, most of the people I knew that went to Church of Christ drank and danced. And so that told me was church is a game. You show up on Sunday, you say all this stuff, and then during the week you just live how you want to live. And being a Catholic, I realized I wasn't good enough, right, to be one of those top guys. So my, my theory in life was, if I can't get there, I might as well enjoy where I'm at. And that's how I lived. My Church of Christ wife liked pornography. I had involved, got involved early on in my first grade year with some sexual things. So somebody that was into pornography was not a bad thing for me. I'd gone to strip joints when I was a teenager. And so we had this kind of... She wasn't a bad woman. We just had an ungodly marriage. 
Uh, we were both wounded uh, from various aspects. But again, I, I, became, I got baptized in the Church of Christ. Uh, I loved the Word of God. We had two children together. She and I ended up teaching what they call cradle roll at, at Central Church of Christ, where we went to church. At an early age, when my kids were little, we, we taught in the, in the kids' ministry for, gosh, 10 or 12 years. I ended up becoming a deacon. Okay, But what happened early on in our marriage, remember I did drugs, but once I got married, I switched to alcohol. So I put the drugs down. Now I just get drunk. So here I am, a deacon at Central. Deacon Sunday morning, tell you the truth, drunk Sunday night. I'd go to people's houses that were leaders in the church, and not everyone, a few of them, don't get me wrong, and hey, I need to throw this away. And they'll go, hey, uh, a trash can's underneath here. And I'd go over there, and I'd open up the door to the cabinet, and I'd see a liquor bottle hit behind the trash can. I'm thinking, this is a game. You know, because in church, you go, hey, how's it going? Everybody's fine. Nobody talks about what they're doing. I didn't, I thought I was the only one that sinned. Because nobody else is saying, you know, they'll say stuff like, well, I, I sometimes do things wrong. Well, what the heck is that? <laughs> you know, I, I've got a whole list I can give you, and you sometimes do. You know, I'm just, this is just a game. Church is just a game. So we end up, uh, we stayed married for 19 years. Like I said, we, it was ungodly on both of our parts. Uh, toward the end of the marriage, I end up having an affair. Um, we get divorced in 1998. I stay out of church for about six months, and then I decide I've got to get back in church. So I went to another Church of Christ. I stayed there about two months. The entire time I was there, nobody ever said hi to me. I didn't feel welcome. And so I heard about this renegade church down the street called Amarillo South that was run by some ex-Church of Christ people. So I thought, hey, I'll go check it out. <laughs> so I go there. I'm just, I got my suit on, right? I'm looking good. Man, I'll step off. Everybody looks like y'all. I have my suit and tie on. And I, this is weird. It was in a gym, a very similar place to this. And when I went there, I thought, thought, I have a rule. I do things three times. If it's something new, I do it three times, if it's good, because I have to get over my own prejudice. So I stepped into this place in a suit and tie. They're all in jeans. They're playing music I hadn't heard, and it was different for me. So I said, i got to go back at least two more times. By the third time, you couldn't get me out of that place because I felt something I had never felt before. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in the people that were there. I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. And so I'm, I'm going to this church, hearing about this thing called the Holy Spirit and this other term I wasn't familiar with called grace. I was like, wow. Maybe I'm forgiven for all the drugs and all the things that I've done. Maybe, maybe this, I, I, how come I haven't heard this? I'm 40 years old. How come somebody hasn't told me about this thing called grace and emphasized it? And, and so that was, I was like, I was on fire. I mean, I, I really was on fire. I'm still dating this woman that I started having an affair with. She and I are still getting drunk, okay? So everything isn't rosy, but I, I've got a hope I had never had before. So anyway, I, this lady that I'm dating... She had been molested as a child, been raped as a child, to be honest. Um, 
And she had told me about it, but our relationship was just crazy. It was up and down, and we'd get close together, and then she'd push me away. And So I decided I'm going to figure this woman out. I'm going to go buy some books about child abuse because I've got to understand her. So I'm reading this book about child abuse, and it says, I'm reading chapters about the party girl and how things turn out, but there's this one chapter, and it says, the abuser can be another child. If the abuser is four years older than the younger child, and there's power involved. So I read through this, and I get to the end of the book, and I thought, what did that say? So I go back, and I find that, and I, I said, oh, my that wasn't child's play. Because when I was in first grade through third grade, actually fourth grade, there was two older females that we were doing what I thought was child's play. But there was power involved because they told me, if you ever tell this is what's going to happen to you, we're going to tell them it's all your fault, you started it, you're going to get in so much trouble. And so I was always, I had this shame. Because I had this story, I'm 40 years old, and nobody has ever heard this story. So I go to see this, my girlfriend and explain to her, guess, it's not only you, guess what happened to me? And when I told her, literally, this weight came off of my shoulders. At 40 years old, I had finally told somebody my secret. A few weeks later, I'm having my quiet time, and I'm sitting there praying, because I was, you know, I was a good, in spite of the stuff I did, from the worldly standpoint, I was a decent guy. I worked hard. I took care of my family. I mean, nobody knew we looked at the porn. We lived in the, we lived in Puckett neighborhood. I'd bought, you know, I had done, we had the right car. We had all this good stuff on the surface. But there was a big hole in this man's heart. And so I read my, I had read, read my Bible. I think I read it four or five times. I occasionally prayed. Like I said, I was a deep, you know, things had gone pretty well for me. But one day, like I said, we got divorced. I'm going to this place called Amarillo South, hearing about this thing called Grace. I'm praying in my apartment because I work from home. And as I'm praying, I'm telling God how much I love him, and I hear, you're a liar. I said, and I just, I mean, literally, I just heard a voice in my head, you're a liar. I said, I'm a liar. God, I said, why am I a liar? He says, I see how you treat people you love, and you don't treat me that way. And I stood up, and I walked from my computer. This is in April of 1999. And I go stand in the bathroom, I look in the mirror, and I start crying. And I said, God, I said, what's wrong with me? How do I think I can become so arrogant that I lie to God? He, I mean, he was right. I was giving him my five minutes, and I was going to be off with my day. I said, you're right, God. I don't love you. I said, what how did I get here? How did I get so messed up? And so I, I, I literally, I was standing, looking in that mirror, and I said, God, your word says, if I, and I pointed my finger at the mirror, I said, your word says, if I will seek you with all my heart, I will find you. I said, God, I'm coming, and you better be there for me. 
and I meant it. First time in my life, I realized I had shown up to church. I had done church stuff. But I never chased him. I didn't want him. I wanted his blessings. I didn't want him. I wanted him to answer my prayers when I called on him. But I didn't want to change. I enjoyed what I was doing. I hate to admit it. I enjoyed the sins I was committing. I enjoyed the affair. I enjoyed the sex. I enjoyed the porn. But I was tired. I wanted him. Because there was something in here that wasn't going to be whole till I got him. And so I went in my bedroom. And I kind of skipped this. But when I went to Catholic school, my name is Bear Ray. It's French. My mom's from New Orleans. It's a family name. But when I went to school in first grade, people couldn't remember that. So everybody called me Barry. And that's who I was. At IBM, I was Barry. If you find customers here in Amarillo that knew me back when I worked for IBM, they called me Barry. I was Barry. But that day, I went in my bedroom and I said, God, I'm not who you created. Life, myself, different stuff have made me who I am right now. But that's not what you intended. I'm going to become the man you wanted me to be. And I'm going back to the name my mother gave me because I'm starting over. People from this day forward are going to call me Bear Ray because that's the name you wanted me to have. Barry is somebody that the world created, and I don't want him anymore. I went to High Plains Bookstore, and I got Christian books. I got a book called Classic Christianity by Bob George, which was funny. First Bob George, first two first names. But it was about grace. And again, I thought, is it that easy? Did, did, did we miss it? A month later, I'm standing in my apartment. I won't go into the whole story because we need to get the questions. I'm singing. I'm listening to a praise song that I'd heard the night before at a singles group, and something says, stand up and sing. So I stand up in my apartment. I've got this song singing. It's holiness, holiness, that's what I long for, the song we used to sing at Amarillo South. I put my hands up. I start singing. I start crying. Not boo-hoo. I mean, tears are just dropping. I thought, that was weird. I've never sang and cried in my life. So I hit repeat. Holiness, that's what I long for. I'm, I'm singing, I'm crying. I do that about four or five times. Something comes in the top of my head like a laser, and I get sliced. It almost felt like a piece of meat being sliced. I felt it leave out my body. I thought, what was that? So I called up Brad Small, who was the preacher at the church, and I said, Brad, we need to talk. Something happened to me. I don't know what happened. And so I go to the church, and we're visiting. I said, I think it was the Holy Spirit. He says, I do too. He said, I said, Brad, something changed. It took something out of me. I don't know what it took, but something is different. And he prayed for me, and I went home. Two days later, guess what I realized? I had no desire to drink. I was delivered from alcohol in a song. And when I say delivered, I don't mean typical alcohol guy gets over things. I was free. If I want a beer, I'm not afraid of alcohol. It has no power in my life. If I want a beer, I can have one. I don't have to have one. It has no power. So I walk in freedom with alcohol, which is great. I mean, that's fantastic. 20 years later, last summer, he did the same thing with cigarettes. I got delivered from cigarettes, praising him in a song. I haven't smoked since. 
And that's all great because that's what he did for me. But my point of everything is it started with one moment when I stood in the mirror and I said, God, basically I'm saying I'm tired of playing the game. I'm tired of the man I am. I'm going to come find you. Because we know God is everywhere. But for my heart, he might as well have been in the Sahara Desert behind a rock because he wasn't in here. It's great that he's in your heart and other people that we see, but if he's not in our heart, if we don't have him, we've missed everything. Right? And, and so that's what the question is today. Have you chased him with all of your heart? Because that's when life change occurs. It's not about what we do, the church stuff. It's great to give the money. It's great to be involved in the church. But does he have your heart? Okay. Father God, I thank you for this time, God. We, what a blessing to be in front of these men, Father. Um, because God, we, we didn't come here this morning for coffee and just fellowship and donuts, which we didn't have this morning, but we should have. <laughs> God, we came here for an encounter with you. We came here so that when we leave, we're different than when we came in because your presence is here, God. So I pray as these men go over the questions, God, that hearts will be opened. And God, if, and I'll put this out to anybody out there, 24-7, my brothers, if I can help you in some way, I'm available because we're all here for the same reason, to bring glory to the God that created us. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.